He spent 12 seasons in the National Football League, an all-pro defensive end by way of the Notre Dame Fighting Irish, Pete Train, Bertrand Perry. <clears throat> and uh, Mike Gross. It's Train and Gross on the No Pull Podcast Network. Just when I'm starting to get used to it. I miss that guy. <laughs> You're not used to it. Stop it. Train, how are you, man? You never get used to it. I'm good, brother. How you feeling? I'm good. I'm up uh, back in New Mexico, so we're, uh, we're apart for this edition of Train and Gross. But we appreciate right. you guys tuning in and finding us. And uh, real quick, uh, give everybody a shout out that subscribed to us and uh, even start to leave some uh, comments on uh, on the various uh, you know Spotify and iTunes and all that. Uh, so we appreciate that. We love the feedback. We love interacting with people. Of course, you can find us on Twitter at Training Gross, and you can uh, hit us up there. Uh, good job by Sean Crespin sending out the holiday uh, greeting, uh, even though yours truly forgot to. Uh, bring the props for the 2020. I guess that's 2020 in a nutshell, right, B-Train? Absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, I, I just need to know, based off of the gifts that you received, were you naughty or nice this year? I, I'd say I did all right. You know, I never know going into it. You know, you hope you, you do the best you can. But I, I feel like I was I was very nice this year based on how well I was taken care of. What about you? Uh, I felt like I was uh, a little naughty, which is nice. There you go. How about was that, that sweatshirt a gift? Hey. Was that sweatshirt a gift? Because I'm, I'm liking that sweatshirt right now. Uh, it was a Christmas gift to myself. How about that? Yeah, there, you go. there you go. I like it. Well, you took good <laughs> care of yourself. Hey, I guess uh, there's no putting it off. And, and, and you got a front row seat uh, this past Saturday afternoon mm. from the stadium in Glendale. High hopes for Cardinals. Cardinals fans going into it, uh, B-Train. But the team, and I don't even know where to start. I mean, you can look at it. You can... Certainly there's a lot of questions to say, okay, did the coach uh, hurt the team? And, and we've talked about the development of second-year coach Cliff Kingsbury. What about the second-year quarterback and his performance? Uh, look, I, the, the defense, you know, I know they're banged up. I know there's not a lot of household names on there, but you know, you're talking about a, a team on the other side that was equally as banged up in the San Francisco 49ers. And I don't know, is it fair at this point, at this juncture? I mean, do you just question the overall effort? I mean – because as a fan, as a layman, obviously, you know, you're the expert here. You played the game. I looked at it, and I was like, man, it just seemed like San Francisco wanted to be in that stadium more on Saturday afternoon than the Arizona Cardinals did. If I were to tell you that you had watched football all season long, and I told you there was one team that was playing for the playoffs and another one that was basically playing to finish the season, you basically would have said the team in white was the one that was playing for the playoffs. And I was so Absolutely. disappointed on so many levels, Mike, on the lack of energy, the lack of effort, and the ability for the San Francisco 49ers to run the football. I mean, Jeff Wilson Jr. had a career day running the football. They rushed for over 220 yards in a game that they weren't even supposed to be in, Mike. That, that yeah. never happened when you talk about a team that understands if they win, they're in. And to have a team that has been on the road essentially for over a month to come in there and, and they've been using your stadium and for you to, to not have that energy when you needed it most, very disappointed, particularly on the defensive side, to, to, to give up that type of rushing yards when you knew that was really the only chance that they had to win that game. Yeah, Jeff Wilson Jr., 8.3 per carry, B-Train. I mean, you know, here's a guy, I mean, you talk about the term hot knife through butter. I mean, this guy, every time he got a chance – and, uh, it, it, you know, 22 carries, that equates to nearly 200 yards for this guy. Uh, you know, I don't want to take anything away from him because the numbers are what they are. But, you know, again, um, they didn't have any answer. And then the other side, you know, you look at, at the Cardinals, uh, what, what they were able to do. Kyler Murray got his, you know, he, he got 75 yards. Beyond that, you know, they had under 50 yards rushing from everybody else. And I know you missed Chase Edmonds. He could. He tried to go. The hip wouldn't allow him to continue. But but it was complete opposites, just complete, complete opposites. Yeah, the thing that I, I didn't understand about the deep, about the offense was 
what was the identity? What was the game plan? It, it just seemed as if there were a, a bunch of plays that were just thrown out there and there was no rhythm. You, you never got a feel for what the Cardinals were trying to do to attack the San Francisco 49ers. And to only score 12 points in a game of that magnitude, it just it left you scratching your head wondering why is this team struggling so mightily to score points in a game that they really need when you know this, opponent, this opponent, you had beaten this team already in the first game of the year, and yet here we are with the third-string quarterback, basically a third-string running back, and they were able yeah. to come in and basically do whatever they wanted to do from an offense and defensive standpoint. The special teams, Jeff Gold or, or Robert Gold, basically tried to give the game away to the Arizona Cardinals. He had three misses. Mike, I hadn't seen him miss three kicks in his entire career. But 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 Robbie Gould actually missed those kicks, and he they were begging the Cardinals to take this game, and they just couldn't do it. Yeah, right till the very end, they they were trying to get give it away, uh, San Francisco special teams. But again, you know the other thing too, being you know you talk about it. Look, it's it's week what sixteen of the NFL season, so you know you talk about yeah. injuries. Everybody's got it, right. So you know I I, I understand that you know and. and you know, the most recent uh, addition that I thought really hurt to the, the injury report was Dennis Gardick. But, you know, you look at the Cardinals injury report and the injured reserve list, the players that aren't available to this team right now. The offensive line, to me, uh, has come through relatively unscathed from the injury standpoint throughout the course of the year. And I, I would say if I was grading and, I, you know, I hear this term, we grade out the units. I don't know how you do that. You watch film and you assign grades, I suppose. But when I, you know, the right. eye test as a fan. I thought that the very, very depleted San Francisco 49ers defense handed it to the Cardinals offensive line on Saturday afternoon. No doubt about it. And it was confusing because this had been one of the strengths all season long for the Cardinals. The fact that they had pretty much been intact all season from a personnel standpoint on the offensive line. And with the losses that the San Francisco 49ers had occurred all season long, didn't have Nick Bosa, didn't have a lot of the guys that they had depended on to be their stalwarts, they could not block that that defensive front. And they couldn't get anything going. They couldn't throw the ball with 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 regular with, with ease. And I just felt like everything was such a fight, was such a struggle from the offensive side. And on the defensive side, there was just so many mental errors. You can't be in week sixteen and have that many mental errors, Mike. That that is uh focus, that's concentration and that's professionalism. And that's the thing that I didn't see. And that's what disappointed me the most. When you are one game away from everything you had talked about all season long and at home against a team that had no business being on the field with you, to go out there and perform the way that they did, there really is no excuse for it. What What, what about the criticism of the head coach? Is, is it fair? I mean, you saw every play you put. Nice job on the call, by the way. Cardinals Radio Network filling in. But you saw every play. You, you had a front row seat for it. And you were able to see, you know, see what was happening real time. Again, as a former player, is the is the second guessing or the head scratching of some of the plays, uh, the play calling that you uh, saw out of Cliff Kingsbury, is it warranted? And then a follow up. And I think I know the answer because you and I have talked about this back when we had our radio show together. These are professional athletes. Right. And and they, they yes. know what their job is. So you talk about the yes. head coaches. Uh, what, where does he factor in when you see false start penalties from Mason Cole? I, I, you know, it just at this part of the is that on the coaching staff to say, boy, you know, week 16, week 17, you know, we're still having these these mental errors. And then lastly, do you as a professional athlete, do you need a coaching staff, a head coach and a staff to get you up to your point? This is a team that was on the door, knocking on the door of a playoff berth, a team that people thought would win six and a half or seven games. Right. And so they're overachieving by a lot of measures. But, but how much of this can be placed on the coaching staff after watching that game? You can place a lot on everybody involved. Anybody that was on the field, on the sidelines for the Arizona Cardinals, they all have a, a relative slice of the pie as far as blame. When you talk about the head coach, it all starts and stops with him. He is the man in charge. He is the one that is left in trust uh, of, this, of this football team, and, and he, it's his job to make sure that they're ready to play. They just did not seem ready to play. Mike, there was a play where you saw Jeff Wilson Jr. was able to score where he, he started out running to the outside and then come back in. It's called the F under route. 
it's the trademark of a, of a Kyle Shanahan slash Mike Shanahan offense. And you saw in the first game of the season that they, that, that Raheem Mostert had scored on that, that play. And then here you come 15 weeks later and Jeff Wilson Jr. scores on the very same play. To me, to not have learned that lesson in 15 weeks worth of footage and, and, and worth of knowledge of this team and, and being a division opponent, there's no way that that particular play should get them seven points again. And yet here we are in week 16 lamenting about the same play. To me, you've got to be able to, to recognize that based off formation, based off of tendency where they were in the red zone, and to let them score on the exact same play that they did in week one, absolutely inexcusable. And with all that, remarkably, this team still has an opportunity to qualify for a postseason. It's simple. You go to Los Angeles on Sunday. You get the extra day to prepare. You played on Saturday. The Rams played on Sunday. The Rams played up in Seattle, so they had to travel back. So it's it, you have the opportunity right there in front of you. How hard is it going to be, though, for, a miss, for this Cardinals team to bounce back, in your opinion, B-Train, from from what we saw against against the uh, 49ers? I'd love to say I have a lot of confidence, Mike, but I, I'm not sure if I see it. Uh, this Rams team has beaten the Cardinals six straight times uh, wh- while, you know, they, they've, they've been here. And, and, and when you start thinking about what the Rams need, because they need this game as well, the fact that they're playing oh, yeah. at home, and the fact that you know they they're coming off of a of a disappointing loss to Seattle, who was able to clinch the division while playing against them, they're going to be angry. They're going to be pissed off. And so, I, look, Sean McVay has had his way with the Arizona Cardinals, regardless of who is the head coach. And now that we got Cliff Kingsbury, I'd love to say that that they're going to come in and they're going to have this awesome game plan. But I honestly don't know. And the fact that I don't know in the last week of the season. That's a problem in and of itself. Yeah, and the scenario is the Cardinals win and they're in. They lose, they're out. And then the other scenarios involving the Rams and the Bears, obviously the Rams beat the uh, the Cardinals. They secure their spot. And the Bears are kind of the interesting one here. The Bears got a home game against the Packers who are still playing for that top spot in the NFC. You could have a scenario in which it's the Cardinals and the Bears where it's the Bears and the Rams or the Rams and the Cardinals. So, I guess if you're the NFL, you got what you want in terms of all kinds of scenarios, lots of interest in these games. Uh, but, you know, it's simple. Cardinals win and you're in. But I agree with you. You look at this, um, you know, because the Cardinals against the NFC West take out the Rams. They've done all right the last couple of years. It's the head-to-head, as you said, six in a row. Now, Jared Goff, it sounds like, will not go with a broken thumb. Although watching him play against the, uh, the Seahawks, I don't know if that's a good thing or not. You know, it might be, uh, you know, the, the frustration level, talk about coaching staff, the frustration level from that Rams coaching staff with Jared Goff was something else. It was it was palpable watching it on TV. You could see the Rams coaching staff and their displeasure with their quarterback. I think it's going to be addition by subtraction. That defense is Super Bowl caliber defense led by Aaron yep. Donald, of course, and Jalen Ramsey. But the problems that they've had, have all been on the offensive side. They just can't score enough points. When you don't have enough points mm-hmm. to beat the New York Jets, yep. you have problems, Mike. A team that was fighting for the number one overall spot in, as far as the pick in, in the National Football League because they were winless. And, and for that to be your first win when the Rams had everything to play for, uh, that, that, that just shows that Jared Goff may not be long for the quarterback position with the Los Angeles Rams. I'm not saying his career is going to be over, but I think looking at, at how he's performed in recent history and looking how that he's basically held this team back, uh, I, I don't know how much confidence Sean McVay has left in him. And, and when you start looking at that window of, of yeah. opportunity to, to make a run, you, you've got to be able to exhaust all possibilities. And I can definitely see a scenario where Jared Goff will no longer be the, the quarterback uh, going into 2021. I made a note, once the uh, once the Cardinal season over, you and I can play virtual general managers because the, the Jared Goff situation from a cap standpoint is almost worse than the Carson Wentz situation in Philadelphia. I mean, the hit that the Rams would take to, to do to part ways with Jared Goff right now 
is astronomical. And a lot of people questioned that contract at the time it was given to him. Uh, not again, not on, uh, not that 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 uh, far off from what happened with Carson Wentz. Um, and so you see where you get that quick. What, what, what's your term? Quick, fast, in a hurry. You get that infatuation with a, with a quarterback, and then you're saddled with him because of the salary cap. The way it works in the NFL. I mean, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but they are astronomical for the next two years if the Rams want to do something. But again, uh, we'll worry about that after the season. So again, you know, next time we get together, we'll know the answer to this question. Cardinals win and they're in, and we'll be breaking down a playoff game, or they lose, and and we'll be talking about another performance, maybe like we saw against the 49ers this past weekend. But either way, next time you and I get together, we'll be uh, putting a postmortem on the Cardinals and the Rams. On the other side, B-Train, a lot of news and notes from this weekend in the NFL. just want to go round the horn with you on that. Some great individual plays, some some tough plays, uh, and playoffs abound in the NFL. That's coming up next on Train and Gross. Train and Gross. Welcome back, Train and Gross. I'm in our uh, New Mexico studios again this week, B-Train. I get used to it up here, man. I like it. I like it in New Mexico. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm at the uh, the studio a la maison. And, uh, there you, go. you know, it, it feels pretty good. feels uh, quite familiar. <laughs> so, you know, it's it all good. Up. I like it. Yeah. Hey, B-Train, a couple things. I want to go around the horn, some stories, some news and notes around the NFL. Uh, you know, as the season winds down, things start to come to a head. Houston Texans, one of the more disappointing teams in the NFL this year. They're 4-11, and uh, lost four in a row, headed down the stretch. And J.J. Watt, um, you know, he, he's in a Zoom post-game conference. And, you know, I give credit to reporters and players and all that because these Zoom, it's hard, right, you know, to, to get any yeah. flow and any rhythm in these conversations. But I got to say, if you didn't already like J.J. Watt, you got to love him after the reaction – uh, to a fairly, I thought the question was fairly innocuous. It was kind of like one of those, uh, I don't want to say throwaway questions, but it felt like, hey, you know, how are you feeling at the end of a, a bad season? And, you know, I expected a textbook answer. J.J. Watt wasn't going textbook on that answer at all. No, he wasn't. And he sounds like a guy that has had has had enough in Houston. I think he wants to, to move on and, and, and finish his career elsewhere, uh, looking at how everything has transpired especially looking at the other side with how they treated Deshaun Watson and a guy that you die, that you designated as your, your franchise quarterback, but then you start mm-hmm. to strip away his weapons. And how, how do you expect a guy to succeed like that? And, and, of course, the success of Deshaun Watson is directly tied to the success of J.J. Watt because if Deshaun sure. Watson is, is performing well and he's scoring points, then that makes J.J. Watt on the defense's job that much easier. So – he he's frustrated. Uh, I I really expect him to play elsewhere next year, and I, and I think the way that everything has gone down in Houston, uh, it it just he he just all of his emotions just overflowed. I think that was just the tipping point for for JJ yeah. Watt, and 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 he was a guy that one has the cachet to say what he said, but two you 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 understand where he's coming from if you've been in one of those locker rooms with a season like they've had. And I've had, unfortunately, way too many of those type seasons where everything just seems to be going against you. Everything seems to be such a struggle just to try to, to, to get a, a positive play here and there. And, and uh, it, it's something that needed to be said, uh, but you, you would have loved to have heard him say that even sooner. Uh, but to sure. wait to week 16, you know, it's a little late, but the message and the sentiment behind the message was absolutely spot on. How hard is it to deal with players that, that you could tell he was referencing some of his teammates on that 53-man roster on the Texans, you know, guys that don't want to be in the weight room, guys that show up late and leave early, you know, those types of things that you hear. A lot of times that's, you know, that's, that's you know, it can be coach speak when you say, well, he's the last one in the locker room, he's the last one at the facility or whatever. But when it's coming from a player, when it's coming in such an emotional way from J.J. Watt, when he's talking about guys like that, you know that there's guys that if he if he was really bringing it, he could have, he could have he could have named him, he, he, you know, and he, in his mind, you know, he was talking about specifics. How hard is that when when you, when there's guys like that in that locker room that you're dependent on as a professional for your livelihood? It's very difficult because you know what it takes to be a professional and you see other 
you've got friends on other teams and you you hear them talk about how professional their teams are. And the one thing that I will always say, Mike, listen to people when they're drunk and listen to them when they're angry because they're telling you the truth. And J.J. Watt was definitely speaking some hard truth about his Houston Texans teammates because he wasn't drunk, but he was extremely upset. So uh, the next thing that's probably going to happen there is they're going to have a players-only meeting, which when you have those, everything is it, it's officially a dumpster fire. So yeah. uh, I know we're, we're talking about week 16 and you got one week left. You just try to power through it. But there, there's I anticipate major changes, not only in the personnel of the players, but also the coaching staff and maybe even some of the front office. All right. Uh, next up, Saturday was the day for games, right? Uh, you know, the, the Lions had to go without any of their coaching staff due to COVID. And if you're around the Buccaneers in the standings, you got to scratch your head and say, why couldn't you push that for a game? We already talked about the Cardinals and, and their poor effort against the 49ers. The ending of the Dolphins-Raiders game Saturday night, um, and, 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 and due deference to our good friend Sean Crespin, who's on the podcast with us, I don't want to break down and everything and try to dissect that. But when you look at the play that ended the game, the throw from Fitzpatrick, or the, I guess it was a second or third play to end the game, but, but that throw from Fitzpatrick that, that, uh, that, that forced the, the, the uh, or, or got the, the Dolphins into uh, field goal the range. personal foul That's and go all that kind of stuff, yeah. One of the most iconic plays of the year. Yeah, basically it was a normal pass, and, and his face mask was basically being ripped away from him, and, and he couldn't see through the ball, and, and for the Raiders, I don't come up with that ball, I will never know. And I think that's something that they will forever lament. First, I want to start by saying I think John Gruden managed that game the right way at the end. I think he did everything that you want to do as a head coach. They out, you make them go the long field. He, he played that perfectly. And uh, you, you just don't anticipate that type of situation. One of your defensive linemen is going to actually go in and, and one, you know, uh, hit the quarterback in that type of fashion and, and then have your DBs so unaware of the ball on that, that it's as if the Dolphins receiver was all by himself. There was nobody around him. And then – you know, to have that 15 yards added on where they can kick the game win the field goal, I mean, the, the, those last couple minutes of the game were, were stuff of legends. And I think, as you said, Mike, it, it will be remembered for a very, very long time. Yeah, I mean, just just the, the way it played out. And I, I love the still shot, the picture, you know, not even the play itself that, you know, some one of the one of the photographers got the, the ball just when it was leaving Fitzpatrick's hand as his head was at that angle. And it's just so remarkable. I mean, if the penalty is going to happen, I mean, you know, you talk about the discipline and making that happen. You would think if you're going to get that penalty, that the play wouldn't be able to go off because he would have just been so bothered by that. And Sean made the point at the start where Fitzpatrick said, well, maybe that even helped me because it put the ball up a little bit higher and it, it forced the throw to go at a different angle. So it might have helped him and his receiver a little bit. But still, when, when you look back on the 2020 season and everything that was going on, the picture of Ryan Fitzpatrick getting his face twisted off, making that play and giving his team a chance, that's going to stick with, with people for a long time. And can we just give a little love to Brian Flores? I mean, if, if he's not coach of the year, I don't know who's coach of the year. Because remember, Fitzpatrick did not start this game. Tua Tungvaluwa started the game, and he made a very difficult, maybe even an unpopular decision to pull Tua Tungvaluwa for Brian Patrick in that situation in the fourth quarter. And, and – to have the, the courage and to have the, the, the trust of your team to make that move, I, I think it just shows that Brian Flores definitely knows what he's doing. And, and this Dolphins team is, has 10 wins this year, oh, by the way. So it's yeah. not like it was just one of those plays by a bad football team. This is a football team that's fighting for a spot in the playoffs. And, and for him to have a, 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 the pulse of that team to know when to make that difficult decision – and everybody be okay with it, it just shows how much they're willing to, to go out there and put it on a line for Coach Flores. And, and uh, he really understands this team, and they really understand him. And so, uh, it's, it's a great story. You feel bad for all Raiders fans out there because that, that's a tough way to lose a game after you put in so much work and, and really had that game at hand. But 
man, you, some of the decisions that Brian Flores has made throughout the course of the season, I, I just don't see how he cannot walk away with the NFL Coach of the Year. Five teams at ten, with 10 wins in the AFC. So, again, talking about what's going to happen in the NFC, NFL, guess what they want? Interesting football in the final week of the regular season as the playoff races go down to the wire. Uh, not playoff-related football, but pat yourself on the back. We talked a couple weeks ago about the Jets and the whole idea of tanking and, and all of that. And uh, two weeks in a row, you travel out, you beat Los Angeles on the road. And, look, I know Cleveland was depleted with wide receiver issues and COVID issues and everything else like that, but it's still a 10-win Cleveland team against a one-win Jets team. And for the Jets, the coaching staff in New York, they've taken a lot of heat at the beginning of the year, wherever it's coming from, just to keep their heads in the game and, and to to get that second win, um, I think is, is pretty remarkable when you look at, at what you know people were, were trying to bury them in the, uh, in the tanking sweepstakes uh, a couple weeks ago. Yeah, and, and it just goes to show players don't care anything about tanking. That's something for fans to talk about. But if you're in that building and you are a member of the New York Jets football team, there is no way that you're going to lay down because, one, your career doesn't last long enough for you to do that. And, two, you take too much pride in your work during the course of a week to just lay down and, and just let somebody roll over you. Those guys have understood all season long that it's been a tough year and, and they've had to listen to all the jokes, all the talking heads say different things about this team and, and how bad they are and, and, and how ill-equipped they are and, and they're, they're fighting for the number one pick and they're doing everything that they can to do it. No, that's not the case. They just have had bad luck the most of the season. And then when you see them get that win against the Rams last week, that lets you know that they actually are still fighting to the very last minute, and then you piggyback that with a, a win against another 10-win team or a team that's fighting for the playoffs, those guys haven't haven't mailed it in at all. And, and whoever they play in the last week of the season, they better be ready because this team has a two-game winning streak, and they're, they're looking to finish this season as strong as anybody else. And uh, keep me honest here, Sean Cressman, I believe they get the uh, New England Patriots uh, to, uh, to wrap things up uh, as uh, the season – uh, will come to an end. Obviously, neither one of those teams in the postseason. The other thing that that's going to be interesting as we watch uh, the regular season end, and then and the off season, uh, you know, start is you know the quarterback sweepstakes that we've been talking about. You know, you've got Philadelphia where you've got a highly paid veteran that he needs to go, and and you look at how you know. And I was struck by this when you were talking about Brian Flores, but it takes two quarterbacks to buy in as well, and. You know, if you look at, at how Carson Wentz handled thing in, things in Philly versus how Ryan Fitzpatrick handled things in Miami, where he was high five and Tua, and you know, when 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 uh, you know he threw that pass, Tua met him halfway out on the field, you know, and they, they did the chest bump, um, you know. So you talk about a culture and the way it, you know players are buying in, uh, but but uh, Sam Darnold, what's going to happen there? Because now it's not a given that they're going to draft a quarterback. Uh, you know, we, you know, so we got, we got a lot of quarterback uh, questions up in the air as the 2020 uh, season ends and the off season approaches. Yeah. And I, I look at the Jets, they've gone from the number one pick where it was going to be Trent Lawrence without questions. Now, I think you have to really look at keeping Sam Darnold because looking at the draft coming up is Trent Lawrence and then everybody else. Yes. Justin Fields is a, is a, a very talented quarterback, I don't think that he's a I don't think he's much of an upgrade over Sam Darnold. And if you're gonna go with a number two pick or number yeah, number two pick overall, then you you have a lot of different needs. So quarterback probably won't be the direction that you go with that number two pick. Maybe you trade down, get more picks. Not sure mm-hmm. what they're gonna do, but I think they're a quarterback business now that Sam Darnold yeah. has come back and they kind of rallied behind him a little bit and, and as we've said, had a nice little uh, winning streak. Uh, to boot to finish the season. So it's one of those where I I, I don't know how that's going to play, but I know a lot of New York fans are upset that this team has decided at the end of the year that they really want to compete and they don't want to just quit. But that's what you want if you're a player in that locker room. You never want to surrender and and just uh, play total give up because that's not what you did to get to that point in the first place. And lastly, before we get out of here, speaking of quarterbacks, Dwayne Haskins. I mean, you know, you look at this uh, guy, his hometown team, a first-round draft pick, and look, (laughs) 
this will sound strange. I mean, they're still in the playoff hunt. Somebody's got to win the NFC East at this point. But man, uh, how bad must it be for them to to wave a guy last week of the season, wave a first uh, first round draft pick from one year ago? Um, but but boy, you talk about a decision that uh, I don't know. People were surprised by it, but it came down fast today. It could be over for him and. I understand that that he's still a very talented individual. I think the worst thing that happened to him was that he went back to his hometown. I think having those same guys around, he wasn't able to to really just lock in on football. They've talked about his study habits, his, his, his being late and, and, and not being very professional or some of the things that really cost him. The, the, the Washington football team are still in a position where if they win, they're in. This is settled. It's right. not even a debate. All they got to do is win this game. But now you're hoping and you're praying that Alex Smith is healthy and that calf is okay because if it's not Alex Smith, I don't really love their chances in, in week 17. And, and for this team to have gone through everything that they've gone through and for Dwayne to have basically blown a golden opportunity to be a franchise player, I, you, you just wonder where does he go from here because his next job is not going to be as a starter. It's going to be as a backup if there is a job and, and he's got a lot of damage control to do uh, about his reputation off the field as well as on the field. Yeah. Yeah. Just, uh, I, I want to use the word fascinating, but that's not probably the best word. Just, just to watch it unfold sad, and see. You know, it's sad. Yeah, it's, it is sad at one level, but you know, the, the, the thought process of a, of a football, it's just really, really sad at, at a lot of levels, but, but, kind of interesting at another level. I know I'm not choosing the right word, but, you know, just to see the timing of it, because the NFL teams get accused of a lot of things. Um, and, you know, for whatever reason, it, it must have been a lot more than we knew for the Redskins to go ahead and, and do what they did uh, uh, with, as you said, so much on the line one week to go in the season. All right, B, on the other side, uh, we're playing basketball, man. Uh, basketball is back, and we'll touch on mm. that a little bit uh, on the other side. Train and Gross. Basketball season underway as the uh, NFL regular season winds down. And uh, regular listeners know, there you go. You still got it. Um, were you, Never had you it, play it, Never had it. <laughs> No? Did you play it? At I mean, I played in high school. school. I played at Noble High School. I was a captain my senior year. Uh, I loved the game, but I just, you know, it, what's that old song? I wish I was a little bit taller. And I wish I had a handles or a jump shot. If I'd have had either of those, I may have had a chance. But, uh, you know, it was a family game. But, uh, you know, me being the runt, I didn't get that that size or the handle. So, you know, I, I did pretty good at running into people. So I stuck with that. Hold up. You just called yourself <laughs> You just called yourself the runt of the family beach. Did I hear that right? Wait. Yeah. Hey, my brother's 6'5", my brother's my dad's 6'4". What do you want me to do? <laughs> he said, he's a, what am I going to make me? What's Hold up. I, I played AB. Speaking, I played, I played JV. That's as high as I got. The coach after the season, he's like, son, you're done. Like, wait, the season just ended. He goes, and you're not coming, you're not coming back next year. And this, this, like wow. you, you got the scouting report. They said deceptively slow. Said we knew he was, no step was slow. We never knew it was that slow. Um, but the Phoenix Suns, without the bubble, Without the bubble, the Suns, uh, they open up with a win against Dallas. And then I kind of like this. I know it's COVID-related, but I like when you drop in on a city, Sacramento in this case, and play a back-to-back. Gives a little bit of, uh, you know, a little, not, I don't want to say playoff, but, you know, you don't move around as much. You don't have to worry about travel as much. So maybe it's one of the things the NBA looks at after the fact. If you got to go to Sacramento two or three times in the year in the Western Conference, maybe you package up a few back-to-backs. But Suns split with the Kings. Um, and look, you know what, uh, you know, it's, it's a work in progress. It's early. Um, but you know, I think a lot of what we had hoped for, um, you're starting to see glimmers of, and, um, now it's whether or not they can, they can keep it, uh, keep it rolling and big picture, whether or not the NBA can keep it rolling without the bubble, because that's the big difference, right? You know, you're not going to do that two years in a row for, a, and certainly not for a whole season, but, um, no bubble, but Hey, so far so good. So far, so good. And I know, 
everybody's talking about Chris Paul and, and what he brings to the table. I, I love the chemistry between he and Devin Booker already. And you can tell that they put in a little bit of time before the season even started, the way that jiving with one another on the court already. And, and Chris Paul is one of those those players where he's a consummate professional. He's he's a guy that's president of, of the of the basketball association for the players. And uh, he's well respected. And, and I think he is one of the quintessential point guards. Like, you know, you got these guards that can really shoot or guys that are really athletic, like a Russell Westbrook. I think Chris mm-hmm. Paul is one of those throwback type of point guards. And I think he's going to be great for the development of, of uh, Devin Booker. Now, Aiton, you know, that's one of those where I think Chris is going to light a fire under him and, and uh, allow him to to kind of come into his own and, and start to just uh, emotionally be a much stronger uh, big. But uh, I, so far, so good. I'm, I'm with you. I love what they did in the offseason, and, and hopefully this will translate into wins as the season goes on. Yeah, you know what? I, and I, I made the comment before, you know, obviously I get the, the chemistry and, and why you make the move if you're you know trying to keep Devin Booker happy. But the other thing is, can you bring DeAndre Ayton to the next level as your top draft pick from a couple of years ago? And I realize the sample size is small, but so far so good there as well. He's 11 points, 11. What I like is the 11 rebounds per game out of the big man, right? Uh, you know, that was one of the things we talked about where you had a guy of his size, you know, floating around out there looking for the next three where, you know, you're not at Arizona playing, uh, you know, UC Riverside anymore, you know, in a non-conference game. You're in, you're in the National Basketball Association. Uh, the other thing, too, his free throw attempts per game, which is another thing that I looked at, you know, is he going to get down there, get aggressive and play on the blocks? It's starting to trend upward. It's maybe not as high as you'd like to see it. He's up close to four attempts per game. He's only shooting 50% for the year, so be careful what you wish for. But look, again, I know the sample size is small, but, you know, it'll be an added bonus if Devin Booker blossoms even further and, and, and you know, you know commits to this uh, franchise longer term. I know he has once, but does it again. But, like I said, what's what's the impact? What's the uh, fallout from DeAndre Ayton? And, and like I said, 11 and 11 you can live with from DeAndre Ayton. No doubt. And and with DeAndre, I think Chris Paul is going to be one of those teammates that he's not going to necessarily love on a day-in-and-day-out nope. basis, but he's going to appreciate him because Chris Paul is not one of those guys that that, that mixes his words. He is very direct. Uh, he is a feisty type of guy. He's an emotional leader, yep. and he knows how to push buttons. And I think one of the main reasons that they brought him in was to not only help Devin Booker, but to really push the buttons of DeAndre Ayton. And if he can get him going and get him to playing with a little bit of that nasty, I think everybody will walk away feeling really good about that, that acquisition as the season continues to progress. And uh, Sean Crespin, uh, you know, he, he wants uh, to give you the opportunity to, uh, to recant on <laughs> the uh, Clippers making a coaching change. Uh, 124-73. What were they down? 50 points at halftime? To That'd the be Mavericks? 50. Uh, 5-0. 50. 50. I, I guess at the I guess yeah. at the same time we throw the we throw the win against the Lakers out the window to start the season, but go ahead. You know, are you, are you going to recant on the coaching change for for the uh, for the Clippers? No, I, I like the I like to hire Ty Lue, and I, I I don't know if Doc Rivers was necessarily to blame for what happened last year at the end, and of course somebody had to to be held accountable, and usually uh, the head coach is the cheapest way to go and and when you start talking about direction and 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 where you want your relation to go uh, doc had been there long enough and and nobody really shed a lot of tears for doc rivers uh being shown the door because he's had many opportunities you're up three one and and he's had multiple situations like that with the clippers and did not deliver so i i didn't i i didn't shed a tear for for doc even though i still respect him as a head coach, but what we saw last night was really just a team that mailed it in. Uh, you didn't have Kawhi Leonard, yeah. but that is no excuse to ever be down 50 points in a professional basketball game. Everybody else on that team played. Everybody else gets paid on that team, and the yep. fact that you're that you're cashing a check, there's no way that another team should come in and and be able to house you by 50 points. And I don't think they even had Porzingis in the game, right? Porzingis wasn't even playing. And I don't believe so. for them to get for them to get house like that uh, at any stretch of the game, uh, that is that that is something that they're going to have to address much sooner than later. What about uh, what about James Harden? 
what what's going to happen there? Your hometown, um, you know, it's it just it just seems like uh, they're destined for a, for a divorce here. And you know how it happens, when it happens, where he goes. I guess Daryl Morey, you know, got something to say about that. <laughs> but I, I don't know. It, it it just seems like you know James Harden is everything he can do to get out of town. You know, I'm I'm ready for him to go. If he doesn't want to, if he don't want to be there, we don't want him there. I'm a diehard Rockets fan. I've been that way my whole life, and I cheer for the team. I don't cheer for players. And when James was there and he was engaged, I cheered for him because he made us better and he gave us a chance to win. But the one thing about sports, if you don't want to be someplace, then we don't want you because you can become a cancer very quickly. And when you start talking about basketball where one guy can really change the fortune of the entire organization, you've got to get that cancer out of there as soon as you can. And I understand that they want to get a handsome reward as far as a trade for him, as far as value back. But to me, the, the longer he stays, the, the, the more toxic that environment becomes. And at some point, you just have to cut bait because he's made it very clear he doesn't want to be there. And for Rockets fans across the country, across the world, if you don't want to be there, then PC you later. We, we, we don't want you here. So as long the longer this drags out, the worse it'll be for all parties involved. And I'm only caring about my Rockets. James, hey, yeah. it's been real, but uh, we'll see you. We'll see you. All right, real quickly, uh, we, 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 we don't do predictions or, or that sort of thing necessarily, but uh, do all roads uh, for the 2020-2021 season run through Lakerville with this year? I mean, you know, you look at a team that was so good last year in the bubble, especially, um, they're, they're on paper, they're better this year than they were a year ago. It, it, it looks that way. I know uh, that team down in, in, in New York, Brooklyn Nets, are going to have something to say, even though they had a bad loss last night. I, I, I think that there are going to be some formidable opponents uh, in the East. I know in the West, you, of course, you're going to have the Clippers. Of course, you're going to have the Nuggets. And there, there's going to be a handful of other teams. What, what uh, Porzingis does when he comes back with Doncic, will they be one of those uh, type teams that, that makes a run? Uh, you, you just don't know. But uh, I, I look at the Eastern Conference. I look at Giannis Antetokounmpo. I look at the Milwaukee Bucks. I look at, at, at Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving uh, with the Brooklyn yeah. Nets. There, there's going to be some teams that are going to make this season interesting. But – when you start talking about a seven-game series, can you beat LeBron and Anthony Davis and company uh, with the addition of Dennis Schroeder and, and uh, the, the, the reigning sixth man of the year? It's going to be tough to beat those guys because they've just got too yeah. much firepower. Even if two of those guys are off on a given night, they've got three other guys that can pick up the slack. So to beat them four out of seven, I, I don't see a team presently constituted able to be able to do that. I would agree with that, and I would agree with your comments about the East. You look at some of these teams, and we didn't, and, and all kidding aside about Doc, you, you know, he's looking to get a little bit of retribution, and, you know, he's got a lot of talent in Philly, and, and the problem hasn't been the talent. It's been getting that talent on the same page and working together. I don't know if he can or not, but I think they're, they're somewhere in the conversation when you look at what's happening in the East as well. Yeah, I'm not buying Philly. I'm not buying Boston either. I know that those are two teams that – they're, they're flashy picks. I'm not. I'm not even buying the Miami Heat. I just. I just don't think that that style is going to mesh, or is, <clears throat> or it's going to have that sustaining power, if you will, in this season. Mm-hmm. Not now that they're not in the bubble. I, I just think with uh, the Brooklyn Nets and the Milwaukee Bucks, I think those two are the class of the Eastern Conference, and then everybody else is just kind of jockeying for playoff position. I see that. All right. Well, be on the other side. It's our uh, our final show and our final segment of 2020. So we'll see what oh. Sean Crespin's got uh, in the books for us for uh, Hold Up. And we'll do that next on Training Gross. Oh, there it is again. It's, uh, it's about a seven-hour drive from where I sit right now to my home, which I'm going to be making at the end of this week. I wonder if my beautiful wife, Karen, would let me play this music for the entire drive. <laughs> I don't know about the entire drive, but you you might you might get a mile or two, you know, put it on. I might get a mile or two before she pumps the brakes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well done, Mike. Well done. Tip of the hat to you, brother. Well done with that one. <laughs> hey, by the way, before 
get your finger ready, Sean Cressman. Mm -hmm. uh, Saturday, uh, calling the game, uh, Cardinals Radio Network. Did you use my Marcus Golden line at all during the broadcast? Uh, no, I didn't. I didn't have a chance because uh, one, I didn't. I don't know if I even mentioned Marcus Golden at any point during the course of that game, which is kind of yeah. a problem. But you know, that's a story for another day. Yeah, that is. Not to mention, um, yeah. if he if he did grosser, we'd have to hit Hold him. Up. I mean, come on now. No, no, I gave him permission, and it, it's I, you know he, he. It was like when you do something with baseball, where you have to have the express written permission. Yeah. He had my express written permission right. to use Marcus with Golden, but gotcha. well, point taken. Yeah, one more game so we can get that in. All right, so today's pump the brakes, gentlemen. Today's pump the brakes will yeah, be yeah. a. You know, New Year's resolution slash prediction for the upcoming year in the world of sports. All right, now I'm going to start in college football, near and dear to one Mike Rose's heart. Jim Harbaugh, pump the brakes. We'll let Grosser go first here. Jim Harbaugh will be the head coach of the Michigan Wolverines throughout the 2021 season. Pump the brakes or not? Uh, no, he's not going anywhere. He's not going. He wouldn't lie to recruits. Football coaches do not lie to recruits. And uh, he signed a Hold couple up. of top players. <laughs> Go hey, ahead. Say he, that with a straight face, Grosser. Try to be. <laughs> I got. I got it on 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 Twitter. Oh, so yeah. it can't be a lie that a couple of the players he signed said, "I signed only after I got the commitment from Coach Harbaugh that he's here for the long haul." And so I'm I'm uh, I'm I'm good with that. So I don't, am I pumping the brakes? He he will be. Now no, you didn't ask me if I'm happy about that, but he <laughs> will be the head football coach of the Michigan Wolverines. And I know people in Columbus, Ohio, and East Lansing, Michigan, are very happy about that. Um, you know, because uh, he he will be back. He let me tell you. Imagine. Let me tell you where those recruits screwed up. They got the they got the uh, commitment from Coach Harbaugh that he wants to be there through 2021. They should have called the athletic director and said, wait, is this coach going to be here through 2021? B-Train, what do you say? Will he be or will he not be? I think he will be for the simple fact that who are you going to go yep. to if you don't keep him around? I mean, who's going to be a substantial upgrade from Jim Harbaugh? I understand he hasn't performed up to the standards of what they expected at Michigan, being a Michigan man and all that other kind of stuff. But mm -hmm. if you fire him, you still owe him a great big load of money. And then you're going to have to go and try to find somebody else that is equally as dynamic. And, and great head coaches in college aren't just out there waiting to be plucked up by a big time organization. And so you just wonder they're going to they're going to have no choice but to give him one more shot based off of the money that they owe him. And the fact that if they fire him, you can't really replace him with somebody that's going to uh, make everybody get all warm and fuzzy feelings inside about that hire yeah. for all Michigan fans. You know, and Gross, let me ask you this. Because B-Train, you brought this up a couple times about programs who think they're on a certain tier, but in reality they're not. They're somewhere below. Gross, let me ask you this. I mean, it wasn't that long ago that Brady Hoke was leading this team to five wins, seven wins, eight wins. And that's why, you know, that's why I always find it funny when Michigan fans get so upset at what Jim Harbaugh has brought to you. Now, I understand you got to beat the rival, right? You got to find a way to beat Ohio State. But understand where this program was before he got there. And I said the same thing to the 49ers when they ran him out of town there. Do you remember where you were before he took over as head coach? Like, understand where you were. Under, uh, know your role, right? Like, understand yeah. who you are first before you start jumping off of coaches. No, that's a fair point. And I, I would put Michigan right there with Nebraska and, and Texas and some of these other programs that once were great. And once had that that iconic head coach, Bo Schembechler, obviously. And Michigan had success afterwards, winning the national championship uh, when they uh, when they well they shared it with Washington State, right? But uh, no, Michigan need, Michigan fans need to check themselves and figure out who they are. Um, but by the same token, when they went and hired Jim Harbaugh, the expectations went through the roof. Sure, right? They went through the roof because of everything that you wanted. You had a guy that played for Bo Schembechler. You had a Michigan man. You had all of these things <laughs> when you brought him in, and so the expectations, right or wrong, went through the roof. And and again, you said it. You know whether or not you're playing for national championships, winning 12 or 13 games a year, that's one thing. But the just the the way you've competed or haven't competed against Michigan State and Ohio State is the problem in my True. mind. True. I'm a realist. I understand where they are. They're light years away from Ohio State. 
but you don't lose to Michigan State and Ohio State in the same year and expect people to say, well, you know what, it's not Bo Schembechler, so we're cool with it. You know, go ahead and lose to South Carolina by double digits in some New Year's bowl, Day bowl game in Florida. That's that's even for Michigan, that's not okay. Yeah, Mike, you know, I want to piggyback on something you just said. And the fact that you lose to Michigan State and Ohio State in the same year, well, there hadn't been many years where he didn't lose to both of them in the same year. That's been the problem. It's, it's one thing where, okay, you had a bad year uh, this particular year, and, uh, you know, well, we just expect you to right the ship uh, the following year. He's over against Ohio State, so he's never beaten them. And the fact that you've only won, I believe, one time against Michigan State it, during your tenure there, that, that in itself is is part of the problem and, and yeah you have to be able to beat your rivals at some point you can't just continue to lose to them all the time even if those were the only blemishes on your record a lot of Absolutely. those those true blue fans are not gonna sit well with that because those are the games that matter the most like all wins aren't created equal and if you are able to beat ohio state and beat michigan state that could actually make up for a, a few losses that you had maybe earlier in the season all right, next. Look, next. he's won. Well, Go ahead. Real quickly, because you got my you got my blood blood boiling on this. <laughs> he, he's won. He's won seventy percent of his games since he came to Michigan. Okay, you know, compare that to Rich Rodriguez, who won forty percent of his games. Right. Yeah. He's won almost seventy percent of his Big Ten games. The issue is the competitiveness against Ohio State. You're not going to beat Ohio State every year, but the last couple of years it hasn't even been competitive. Go back, I think three years ago, where that was, you know, they lost real late, and it was a, it was a fascinating game. It was sucked because they lost, but it was still fascinating. They haven't been competitive recently against Ohio State, and then just period, losing to Michigan State is unacceptable, and then one and four in bowl games, right? Uh, that that's the mm-hmm. issue. That that's the issue. So. As a, as I, you know, what's the, what's, I'm a fan, right? So I'm a fanatic. I, but I, I think I'm realistic. I'm, this is not, I don't expect him to be Alabama. I don't expect him to be Ohio State. But, but you can't do what you've done against Michigan State, Ohio State. And then you can't go to the New Year's Day games and beat a second tier, or excuse me, lose to a second tier SEC t- team, which is what he's done. All right, done. <laughs> you good? You get you get it off your chest. Tell us how you really feel, brother. <laughs> Tell us how you really feel. All right, next question. We'll have a little little bit of college Woo. football on this. Uh, pump the brakes or not? B train will start with you. Twenty twenty one, so January slash February of twenty twenty one, right around the corner. We will have a repeat in both the NCAA and the NFL. Clemson and Kansas City Chiefs both taking home a trophy. Pump the brakes. I look at what Nick Saban's done this year, obviously not being in the playoffs last year. I think that rubbed him the wrong way. And anytime that he is out of the picture one year, he comes back with a vengeance. And I look at this team, he's got two Heisman candidates right now, and they are absolutely steamrolling people as uh, they move on towards the, the college playoff. I just don't see Clemson as good as they are. I don't know if they'll even have enough to slow down what Alabama's throwing at everybody right now, which is a quarterback playing at a really high level and w- one receiver that's all world, but a receiving core that doesn't seem like they could be slowed down by anybody. And Kansas City? Kansas City, I guess repeating, it's going to be a tougher road than what they think because you look at Lamar Jackson, how they're playing. You look at the, the Steelers, if they can ever get their act together. There is a lot of different threats uh, to the Kansas City Chiefs because there's right now seven teams with 10 plus wins or eight teams, I believe, with 10 plus wins right now in the AFC. So uh, with so much drama in the AFC, it's kind (laughs) of hard to win the trip without the number one seed. But uh, somehow, some way, I think they'll get it done. Well played, sir. Uh, Grosser, double double repeat or no? Pump the brakes, man. I, I, you know, I'll start the NFL. Um, Kansas City's good, and it wouldn't surprise me if they win again. But you look at them the last couple weeks. I mean, they've looked—I don't want to say beatable, but they haven't looked invincible. They haven't looked like that team of destiny this year. I mean, you look at like yesterday against the Falcons. You know, it's a win, so nobody's gonna, you know, as Cardinal fans, you take the win even if it's an ugly win. But when you know you beat the Falcons 17 to 14. Um, you know, I, I'm trying to remember what they've done recently. I know there was uh, the Broncos and the Dolphins in there. 
Um, they've looked six games in a row, Mike. Six games in a row by six or less points. Thank you. Uh, but but the the lock of that is Alabama's Alabama's win college football championship. Uh, done. Put 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 a put a bow on it. It's it's over already. I agree with B. Like there there's certain expectations. You talk <laughs> about what Michigan is and Alabama is all of that. And if they don't win, I don't care. They're disappointed, and you can tell they're on a mission. You can tell there's a chip on their shoulder. And there's something about Clemson that's really starting to bug me lately. I don't know if it's their head coach. Uh, Clemson's starting to bother me. So from a personal standpoint, I don't find myself rooting for Alabama very often. But if it comes down to Alabama-Clemson, I'm, I'm an Alabama fan this year. I, something about Clemson right now is rubbing me the wrong way. They've won and two I'm sure in a, they're worried about it. They've won two in a row. It could be yeah. three. And if they beat the Patriots this week... Dare we say the Jets could have an undefeated December. Pump the brakes or not, Adam Gase will be the Jets head coach in 2021. Gross? Man, that's hard because at some point, and I'm, I'm, I'm waffling here while I tell you to t- whether or not to hit that button or not, Sean Crespin, because at some point you've got to consider the body of work. What are you going? You going Terry Tate on me? All right, pump the brakes. He's out. <laughs> Hold up. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, Mike, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna let you finish because I want you to finish your trip. So I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna steal that from you. But, but I'm, I'm curious to hear how you are justifying keeping think, this guy around. Go, go ahead. No, I wasn't. That's why I just said it's the whole body of work. But I was just trying to give the man a little bit of something for the the undefeated December comment, right? I mean, um, yeah, at some point, but you still have to flash back to. September, October, November, even if they are undefeated in December, and that deer in the headlight look that, that that got turned into so many memes throughout the course of the season. And I think, you know, from a, I'm talking myself into it, and, and I thought you were going to come through the phone at me. So I didn't want I didn't want Terry Tate two weeks in a row, B Train. So yeah, he's out, Sean. Never mind. He's out. He's done. B Train? Uh, yeah, that's a double, that's a double pump to break for me. There is no way. Hold up. That if they are about the business of winning and being competitive, you don't want Adam Gates anywhere near your quarterback. Keep in mind, this is the guy that almost got Ryan Tannehill thrown out of the NFL. He goes to Tennessee in a trade, and now all of a sudden he's a hundred million dollar quarterback and considered one of the top quarterbacks in the NFL. And the only thing that was subtracted was Adam Gates. So I so, and, and look at what he's done with Sam Darnold. It's pretty much the same thing. Like he's trying to shorten quarterback's career by whatever he's doing. And and uh, the fact that his teams haven't played well, they haven't seemed to to have a great game plan going into certain games and their management of the of the of the game in the, the waning seconds and the waning minutes when they've had leads. Uh, everything about Adam Gates says toxic Get rid of him ASAP. I just so don't know how like you. Would, if, how would you sell that to your locker room, right? Like, I mean, I'd have to ask yeah, you to be trained. Like, how do you sell that to your locker room? I mean, I mean, we hear about it all the time in the media. Like, oh, the locker room divided. I would have to assume that actually would. At that point, <laughs> how do you sell that? It'd be a mutiny, brother. It'd yeah. be a mutiny. Yeah. So if they even if Go they ahead, win Mike. on Sunday, like you fire him before he even gets on the the bus to the airport Sunday, like so he gets the lane the lane and, Kiffin treatment when the USC fired yeah, his even, ass on the even tarmac. If they win. Mm-hmm. Yeah, even if they win. I mean, look. Yeah, I mean, look. He, he he's earned the right to be fired. I mean, he he it, it started as a disaster with that yeah. press conference, and it's been nothing short of a train wreck the entire time. So. There is no way you can bring him back and expect those players to go out there and feel good about actually being competitive in the AFC East. And remember, this was the year that it was pretty much wide open. I mean, Buffalo showed yeah. that they were a team that was to be reckoned with. But when Tom left, everybody thought that this division was wide open. And so uh, for them to go out and play the way that they played, and they haven't had – I mean, they've had injuries, but – it, it wasn't always injuries as the reason why they weren't playing well. So, uh, to me, this was such a foregone conclusion. Uh, anything other than him being shown the door after this last game, I, I, I just can't see it. 
All right, so we'll get you out of here with this one. Last one, because it's getting dark there in my, on Mike in, uh, in New Mexico, and, 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 and we're, we're up against it at this point. Plus, I think you guys both might have some thoughts about this one. Pump the brakes or not. When we line up for week one, first week of September 2021, it'll be the first game for the Arizona Cardinals without Larry Fitzgerald on the roster. Pump the brakes or not. I can't. I can't. I love Larry. I, 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 my appreciation for Fitz is as high as it is for any player that I've ever played with. And that goes with the Kurt Warners. That goes with the Peyton Mannings. Um, it, it, he's right up there as far as his preparation, his professionalism, the way that he carries himself in the, off the field as well as on the field. But it's a wrap, man. It's a wrap, and I I don't say that with it with any type of joy because uh, he has been everything that was advertised when he was the number three pick back in 2004. He has lived up to that that pick and some. I think if people were to say, uh, did they get their did they get their money's worth out of Larry Fitzgerald? I would say that times 10 because uh, every great moment that you can associate with the Arizona Cardinals, number 11 has been part of it or the main cause of it every step of the way. So uh, he will be missed, uh, but there just comes a time when the body just can't do it. And, and, and Fitz, even though he's in great shape, he keeps himself in phenomenal shape. You're 38 years old and, and father time is undefeated. And, and uh, man, I, I hate to say it, but I, I just don't see him in that lineup. Yeah. Yeah, sir. I, you know, I, I, I've only talked to him a couple times. B, you and I had him on the radio show way back when. So I don't know him. I can't speak to this, obviously, from any kind of personal point of view. I only look at it as somebody who watches him on TV and say, uh, on the one hand, boy, you hate to think that this day is coming when number 11 will no longer be on the field for the Arizona Cardinals. It's almost, uh, it's bigger, I think, even than, you know, when Shane Doan stepped away. You know, you talk about people uh, so good on their chosen sport, football or hockey, but so good in the community and such a good reputation as people, you're right? All those things you can say about these, you know, about them. You look at it and, and you know, this year, the numbers are what they are, you know, uh, 400 some yards catch uh, receiving, one touchdown catch. Um, and I wonder when it comes down and, and, and Larry fully talks about it and if, they, if this is the end, um, the two weeks that he got to watch sitting on his couch when he was down with COVID, how much did that factor into his decision to think about what's life going to be like postseason? What's it going to be like watching the Cardinals from the confines of his house, wherever that is when he retires? Um, you know, I know he's thought a lot about what comes after football, um, but I don't know. It, it will be interesting to see. I, I, I'd like to say he'll be back, but I agree with, with B. Like at some point, 17 years in the National Football League, you know, when you step back and look at that, it's it's remarkable. It is absolutely remarkable. Um, and at some point it becomes hard on the team, right? Because he, he will get to make the decision. The team's not going to make the decision. But he gets that contract, $11 million. And you look at this wide receiving core. We didn't get into it. Obviously, you got DeAndre Hopkins. But after that, man, I'm looking at Christian Kirk. And, and I don't know if he's developed the way they wanted to. Obviously, Andy Isabella, he's not even on the field. You know, you look at the position group. You could make a case that even an 18-year vet could come back and be one of the top two or three players in that room. And I don't know if that speaks more to Larry Fitzgerald or the lack of quality receivers after DeAndre Hopkins, which is a problem for this team. Yeah, yeah you know, the thing that I'll say last, too, is, is Larry has actually risen above the idea of going somewhere else and, and actually fighting for a ring yeah. because at this stage, even if he were to win a ring, nobody would ever associate him with that team that won the ring. It would always be he's an Arizona Cardinals through and through. Some guys get to that status where even if they hang on and they go somewhere else, uh, you still just can't imagine him in another uniform. And Larry has reached that point in his career where you just can't, I just can't see him in another uniform. And, and um, it, it, there's no scenario that, that I can justify saying that Larry Fitzgerald, it makes sense that he's going to come back for year 18 of his career. Yeah. And too bad, you know, he didn't get to play that last year with the fans. Yeah. Because if, if there's a player that, that that I think it's reciprocal, the energy that he gives to the fans 
and that I believe he, you can see that he, he gets from the fans. You know, he deserved that curtain suck, call. He suck, deserved that curtain yeah, call. It sucked for a lot of reasons. And I, in the big scheme of the human element, I'm not going to put this up there, but for, for this franchise, for sports fans in Arizona, to not to have Larry, you know, I guess it would have been last Saturday against the 49ers if we would have known. And people would have treated it that way until they were proven wrong. And he said, yeah, I am coming back. But he deserved a curtain call. Couldn't agree more. That is Pump the Brakes in our final show All of right. 2020. B-Train, before we leave, though, how did you know when it was right, when it was time? How did you know? What told you? What made you What just, made you say, was, I, 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 this is it for me? Uh, you really want the honest answer? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I didn't want to play for the coach anymore. And I didn't want to move around to a, a fourth team. And, and um, I felt like I had accomplished everything that I wanted to accomplish. But uh, when you don't respect the guy in charge, uh, there's just it's hard to go out there and put your body on the line for somebody that you just genuinely don't like. And um, you- I just didn't I didn't I didn't want to do it again. Did you talk to other players? Because, uh, you know, that locker room, you know, you and I have talked about this and that. You know, I don't want to go into all that right now. But was that a, was that a singular decision that you just came and said, look, I'm done? And, and you know, you didn't need to, to bounce it off anybody, check anybody. You're just like, hey, I'm done. Or did you talk to other players no. and, and see how they were thinking? No, Mike, it was, it was, a, it was a personal decision. I woke up one, one, one October morning after a game and I just said, I'm done. This is it. Um, I, I didn't want to do it anymore. It started to feel like work because of my relationship with the head coach at the time. I won't, uh, yeah. say that name, but, um, yeah, when it, when it wasn't, it wasn't fun anymore. And, and we were winning, we won 10 games my last year and we went to the playoffs and we won the division back to back. And that was coming off of a Super Bowl appearance. So everything would seem that it made sense to come back, but, uh, I was done. Uh, physically, my body was starting to tell me that I only had so many third downs left, and there was nothing else I could do. I'd gone to a Pro Bowl, gone to a Super Bowl. Um, there, there was really nothing else I could achieve in the game per se uh, at that stage in my career, and and I wanted to be able to leave knowing that I could still do it at a high level. And and uh, my last game at State Farm Stadium, I had two sacks in a playoff game against Aaron Rodgers, so. Uh, I, I was able to walk off with my head held very high uh, off that out of that stadium and, and knowing that that was my last time putting on a uniform uh, for the hometown team. Yeah, you know, the only reason I asked is because Grocer, I thought you made a great point. You know, if Larry was sitting on having an opportunity to, t- to step away basically for two weeks, not because he was told to because of COVID, but, you know, your mind starts to think about an awful lot of things during that time. So I thought that was a. That was a good point, Grocer. So I didn't know what your your you know what what told you it was time. So uh, interesting, interesting, interesting stuff. Always interesting stuff. And you retired in the next chapter of your life, and you know what? Well, well, that's fine, right? <laughs> I, I got you, to meet you, brother. Yeah. <laughs> it was good. That's right. It was good. I landed on my feet. I landed on my fate. feet. Absolutely. I got to meet you and Sean, so it was it was it, I landed on my feet, man. I couldn't have asked for for two better coworkers. You guys have been great. Right, right back, right back at you, B Train. All right, well, that's going to do it for this uh, this year for uh, for training gross. Uh, what we launched this thing in uh, what September, October, September of this year. Sorry about that. Um, yeah. And I'm having a blast. So uh, how, how about this? Speaking of New Year's resolutions, let's uh, let's come back and do some more in 2021. Let's do it. Let's go bigger and better, brother. All right. Follow us on Twitter, at Train and Grow. Sean Crespin, good job. Be trained. Happy New Year. Sean, happy New Year. And we'll talk to everybody next time on Train and Gross.